Uh, before I start, uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, Father God, uh, yeah, we pray to you now, uh, not because it's uh, something that we do every time uh, we open up your word, it's, but it's because uh, we need your help. Uh, so Father, would you please, by your spirit, uh, open uh, the eyes of our hearts. Uh, might we hear you speak to us uh, by your spirit and through your word. Uh, help us uh, uh, to see more of your glory this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, please do keep your Bibles open. It'd be a great help for me if you're able to follow along as we go. Uh, as uh, Colin said, we're continuing our series through Joshua, and we're in uh, Joshua chapter 4 this evening. And although the book is named after Joshua, it's all about uh, the faithfulness of God. It's all about the faithfulness of God. And because of that, it's just such a tremendously encouraging book. Uh, so to help us think about the passage tonight, I want to ask you a question. Which is the odd one out? Obviously, if you're listening to this on the audio tape afterwards, it's not going to help. But uh, for those of you who are here, which is the odd one out? Anybody want to shout out? The answer is yes. Top left. It is the top left. It's the cairn. Uh, all the others are images that tell us which way to go. Uh, they're all future orientated, except for what I hope go to jail. Um, they tell us which way to go, to jail, to London, <coughs> New York, um, or, or wherever it is. Um, the pile of stones, the cairn, they tell us where we've been. It's about looking back, not looking forward. Now, although the book of Joshua is indeed very future orientated, uh, it tells us of a God who has uh, promised to bring his people to the land that he promised centuries before. God is so careful to remind his people then and us now that we should also look back and remember. And so that's uh, what I want us to do today. Uh, this evening, I want us to look at just two things, uh, the need to remember and then what it is that we are to remember, need to remember. Uh, there's a lot going on in our reading this evening, um, so just take a look with, uh, with me as uh, we just uh, quickly recap it to orientate ourselves. Uh, the passage opens in verse 1 with the reminder that the people uh, have indeed uh, crossed uh, the River Jordan. Uh, something we looked at last week. And the crossing was only possible because uh, God had heaped up the waters and he had made a way. And then in verses uh, 2 to 3, there you can see that God tells Joshua uh, to have a representative of each of the 12 tribes uh, to go and pick up some stones from the middle of the Jordan, right by the feet of the priests who were holding uh, the ark. Uh, and they were to carry it, uh, those stones to where they were going to lodge that evening. And then verses 4 to 5, Joshua gives instructions uh, for the memorial stones. And in 6 and 7, uh, they are told why. And then if we look down at 8 to 9, uh, the Israelites uh, do as they've been commanded. And then in verses 10 through 18, the priests carrying the ark in the middle of the Jordan uh, have allowed the people to cross. The armed men of those uh, two and a half tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh come. And Joshua is exalted. As the priests respond to Joshua's call to come out, and as they do, the waters return. And then finally, verses 19 uh, through 24, we're again with the memorial stones uh, and the instruction. Now, the thread, 
that runs really brightly uh, through that uh, narrative is the instructions around the memorial stones. Uh, They're there in verse 3, again in verse 5, verse 8, verse 9, and then again in verse 20. Last week, it was the thread was the ark. This week, the thread is the stones, or are the stones. Uh, Second language, still working at it. Uh, So the question is this, isn't it? You know, the the people of Israel have have barely managed to shake off the dust from their sandals as they climb out of the uh, the dry riverbed, having crossed the Jordan, and straight away the very first thing, the very first thing that they are told to do is to gather memorial stones. Why? Uh, What's going on here? Now, God asks them to do this, to bring up and set up these memorial stones, because there are two great dangers that the people of Israel face as they come into the promised land. And they are a function of not remembering what God has done. And not remembering is dangerous. So I want to lift out two dangers, uh, both of which uh, cause us either to uh, doubt or to deny that the faithfulness of God. Uh, so the first one is that we can uh, forget. Uh, now, uh, those dangers come when we forget the provision of God and when we forget the enormity of the grace of God, God's provision and God's grace. Uh, so to do that, uh, let's just zoom out uh, from this scene and think for a moment, what is it? That God is doing. Okay, so we're going to do just zoom out from here and think about God's provision uh, first of all. So zooming out, the people have been rescued from Egypt, and the people of God have been wandering in the wilderness, and they've wandered and they've lived in a dry and barren land, a place uh, that's dry, it's wild, it won't support life, and they haven't been there just for a few weeks. They've been there for 40 years, and an entire generation has fallen in the time that they have been wandering. And for the people left, in the, as they come to this place, this is all that they have known. The glory cloud of God leading the people of Israel through the wilderness. The entire generation knew only following God and living in the wilderness. Imagine that, 40 years, and this is all that you've known. And then you come to this. Yeah, God has promised that he's going to bring them into a land that is flowing with milk and honey, that he'll provide for the people in a way that the people simply can't even begin to imagine the goodness and the fullness of God. Can you, can, can you imagine? Uh, it's like being a child walking into an aircraft hangar-sized sweet shop. Isn't it? It's just amazing. Your senses just go completely wild. Uh, But it's a land that God tells them is occupied by people who worship other gods, and there's a great danger uh, as a result. See, at the time that the people were wandering in the wilderness, we need to remember that the nations around them, um, they had gods of their own, their idols, and they worshipped the gods But those gods were local, uh, country gods, Uh, each country with its own god or its own collection of gods. And fertility gods, 
And fertility cults were often at the heart of those other nations. Fertility for the land, fertility for the livestock, fertility for the people. You see, the nations all around the people of Israel thought that life in all of its fullness came as they sacrificed to their local gods. That's what the nations all around the people of Israel thought, that they needed to sacrifice to their local gods. And they believed that the blessings only came because they were doing things. That the local deities in some way rewarded uh, the efforts of the people. They rewarded their merits and they rewarded the size of their sacrifice. And the great danger, as the people of Israel uh, come into this land, that they will start to think, That the God that they worship is the God of the wilderness. The God who doesn't provide lavishly. The God who doesn't provide bountifully. And that they then start to think, well, maybe the local deities in this lush and fruitful land are, well, maybe they're more powerful than our God. Because the land's greener, it's lusher, it's flowing with all good things. And there's a danger that they will forget what God has done and they will rush after the gods of the nations. People would forget that God had given them all things. That the Lord God gave the people safe entry into the land. That God would clear the land of the inhabitants. And the people of God would receive extraordinarily as free gifts The cities that they hadn't built, vineyards they hadn't tended, barley and wheat they hadn't sown, trees they hadn't planted, hills rich with minerals they hadn't found, and all set in lush valleys. Now flick back with me if you've got your Bibles open, just one book, uh, to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8. It's Moses here who's speaking, and in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 8, we see that... uh, uh, here we're told that uh, God is telling his people through Moses that the, the, the wilderness years, that they're not an accident. They're not an accident. They're, they're deliberate. Uh, God needed to uproot their hearts and plant them in his own, to take the old ways out of their hearts. Now, I'm from Coventry, and there's a saying that goes, uh, you can take the boy out of Coventry, but you can't take the Coventry out of the boy. And so it is for the people of Israel. They'd come out of Egypt, but Egypt as yet had not come out of the people. And in the wanderings, these wilderness years, God was doing that work. The people had come out of Egypt, out of slavery, but that slavery, that tendency for slavery was still very much in them. And in the wanderings, God was taking Egypt out of the people. And then in verses 7 to 10... Uh, We can see the amazing provision uh, that God will make to them. A land, he says, flowing with milk and honey. And then verses uh, 11 through 18, uh, Moses says, be careful. Be careful lest you forget God. And the reason that they would forget God is because they will take all the gifts, all the good things that God has given them and just Enjoy the gifts and forget the one who has given them the gifts. And there's a warning in verse 19 there that if they forget the Lord, then they will perish. And that's the reminder to the people of the danger that they face. 
So let's turn back now to, uh, to our reading. In Joshua 4, uh, ch- chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. And we read this. Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. The very last thing the people are to do as they cross the River Jordan is this. God tells them, gather 12 <laughs> memorial stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's, it's a picture of a memorial for the whole people of God. Stones in the middle of the Jordan, right at the feet of where the priests are standing with the ark. And then to take them to a place that they're lodging that evening. Now, I'm sure we've all done something not dissimilar to this in some ways. You know, we've uh, visited a place on holiday, we've picked up a souvenir, we've brought it back, and it sits very proudly on our mantelpiece. And it reminds us, doesn't it, of the things that we saw and did. It's a memorial to us of the place that we visited. And the stones that are taken here from the middle of the Jordan, they remind the people of the very place that God did the most amazing thing uh, for his people. And we read in verse 3, they uh, take these stones and they put them down in the place that they're lodging. Uh, literally, they, uh, I love this, it's, uh, it, it, they put them down. Um, it, it speaks of um, uh, a kind of a coming to rest. You know, it's not, you're not building something. You, the stones are just coming to rest uh, in that place. So God says, you know, that just as the stones come into the promised land, they come and they rest. So for you, as you come into the promised land, come and rest in the goodness of God. And the gathered stones are just a brilliant memorial. Uh, The people are reminded that uh, God has done amazing things to bring his people to himself. He's parted the waters and brought them through. And the call, now that they find themselves in the land, is not to forget the Lord, but to rest in him. In all the things that they do in the land to remember God's faithfulness. That all that they have has come from the Lord's hand. They needed to remember that because of the warning in Deuteronomy 8, 19. That if they they forgot that they would end up worshipping other gods. They would forget the one true God who had indeed given them everything. And secondly, by taking the stones out of the middle of the river, uh, it's a reminder, isn't it, that the crossing was a revelation of God's grace. The people hadn't done anything to cross the Jordan. They hadn't done anything to merit the Lord clearing the way. Uh, They were incapable, weren't they, of crossing the Jordan by their own merits, their own efforts. And the only way that they could get into the land that God had promised was if the Lord did amazing things. If God did it. And so the stones around the feet of the priests are just such a powerful reminder of God's grace. So before the people do anything in the land, before they do anything, the call is to remember. And that brings us to our second point. There we go. What are the people called to remember? What are we called to remember? And we see that. Uh, uh, we see the answer to this question once at the start of the chapter, 
Uh, and then again at the end, Joshua tells the people uh, that these stones will be a sign that will remind the future generations of what God has done. And we read that in verses 6 to 7. And then the instructions are repeated and they're filled out in verses 21 through 24. Uh, do take a look with me uh, in your Bibles uh, at those verses 21 through 24. And we read this. Uh, he said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. These stones are to be a memorial, a reminder of all that God has done. Not just, not just to the people who witnessed it, but to their descendants, all of their descendants, memorialized throughout the generations. So when the children ask their parents, what does this mean? They're able to tell them. Now, the assumption is that uh, the lives of the descendants, okay, it's really, really significant, I guess. The, the assumption is that the lives of the descendants of Joshua's generation would be so shaped by the thankfulness of what God had done for them, that their children would look around and marvel and say, wow, what does this mean? And when they answer, they would tell them of the crossing of the river Jordan, the amazing things that God has done. Now, it's not just the crossing of the river Jordan, but Joshua tells the people to remember that they'd been rescued out of Egypt. There's a reference to the Red Sea there, another miraculous parting of the waters. And the people are actually called to remember something that had actually happened. Yeah? Some tangible historic event. Something that the people had witnessed that revealed and demonstrated the power and the love of God. They were called to remember a historic event. It's not some abstract notion of a, a vague deity in the, in the heavenly realms. No, no. They're called to remember the God who rescued them from slavery, who was present with his people in the glory cloud, protected his people, provided for his people, delivered his people into the promised land. It's all history. God is saying, look back. Remember who I am and remember what I've done. I am the only one who can rescue you, provide for you, defend you and deliver you. God says, I have given you everything. Remember me. Now the mighty works that God has done are a sign to the watching world. That they might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Which is why when we read in chapter 2, the hearts of the people at Jericho had melted. But also that God's people might live in reverent awe or fear. As they realize that uh, the God who has chosen them is powerful, he's majestic, and he's holy. Now, an, an obvious implication or an application for this is a call for us uh, to remember as well, isn't it? It's a call uh, also to the people of Israel at the time to remember. But some of us can think it can be a bit hard, can't it, to, uh, to remember things. It can be hard to remember things that are in our past. Uh, some of the things that we've been asked to remember, we, we tend to forget. That's because some of these things can be quite abstract, can't they? 
I don't know if any of you can remember the uh, formula to uh, solve a quadratic equation. No? Um, or perhaps the kings and queens of England or the capital cities of Europe. They're all quite abstract things, aren't they, uh, for us to remember. Yeah, the things that we remember yeah, are the things that have touched or pierced or crushed our hearts. When our affections have been moved and our lives have been changed. I remember the day my father had a stroke. I remember the moment Karen stood beside me with a bouquet trembling as we were getting married. I remember the moment I first realized that Jesus is Lord. I remember the squeals of delight from my children as I tickled them. My affections had been moved. Something came into my heart and changed it. And in our reading, there are two absolutely huge things that can cause a stir in our own hearts, to move our remembering from abstraction to existentially real. I, I wonder, did you, did you spot them uh, as we went through? The answer is that you can find them in verses 19 through 20. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. I mean, it just seems, doesn't it, like such an innocuous detail on the tenth day of the first month. Why? Why would the chronicler give us that detail, the date, that anniversary? Why? Because it's hugely significant in the life of the people of Israel. It's an enormously significant memorial date. Uh, in setting the people of Israel uh, free from Egypt, the last plague that God sent was the plague of the death of the firstborn. And it was the plague that prompted Pharaoh to finally release the people of God. And the only way that, that uh, you could be spared from that plague was by putting the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your house. Any house that had the blood of the lamb on it, the destroyer would pass over that house. And as we read about the first Passover, we read that the lamb that was killed, or was to be killed, was brought into the house on the tenth day of the first month. The first day that the people arrived on the shores of the promised land is the day that reminds them of God's faithfulness in setting them free. That they were redeemed from slavery underneath the blood of a lamb, lifted out of slavery and out of death and brought faithfully by God to himself. The 10th day of the first month, they're to remember the sacrifice of the lamb. And the second thing that they're called to remember is also electric, which is that there are 12 stones. Did you wonder why there were 12 stones? I know it's for one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel as a memorial stone. 
And it's electric because of what we read in Exodus 28 and 39. Because there are another 12 stones. It's when the high priest went into the temple to make a sacrifice. He wore a breastplate that had 12 stones in it. One for each of the 12 tribes of Israel with their names inscribed on the stones. The breastplate uh, was worn, if you like, over the heart uh, of, the, uh, of the high priest at the time that he was making uh, a sacrifice. Uh, essentially, he's, he's, he's portraying that he's carrying the people of God on his heart and bringing them before God. And through the sacrifice, the people are made right with God. That's what it looks like. And the amazing truth is that centuries later, there was the ultimate high priest, Jesus, who came to rescue his people from sin, from death, and from slavery. He came because of God's love for us, and he carried us in his heart. But we forced him to carry the cross of our judgment. We were so deep in his heart that not even the spear of God's righteous wrath against us could pierce us because Jesus took the full weight of that judgment in our place as our substitute. So when we read of 12 stones or the 10th day of the first month, we have a deeper memorial now than the people of Israel. We have a memorial that we can not only remember But to the degree that we are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to make that truth real in our hearts, to allow his love to be poured into our hearts by the Spirit, we'll have a memorial that shapes not only our mind, but it will shape our hearts as well. On my own journey of faith, as I saw the glory of the gospel, I realized that my heart longed for nothing but the Lord. I kind of understand what Augustine said in his confession. He wrote this in the 4th century. So the language is a bit archaic. Do forgive me that. Uh, And pronouns are probably not appropriate. But um, he writes this, speaking of humanity and its need and longing for God. But still, since man is part of your creation... He wishes to praise you. The thought of you stirs him so deeply that he cannot be content unless he praises you. Because you made us for yourself. And our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. What about your heart? Does your heart find, find real, real peace as it rests in God? I wonder, have you so allowed all the things that God has done for you throughout your life fill you to overflowing? Or do you look back on your own life and thank God for those who are part of your journey to Christ, who maybe prayed for you for years and years before you professed a faith of your own? Do you reflect on the memorial stones in your own 
life as you look back and you see God's mighty hand doing amazing things in your life. Uh, Maybe they're one-off events like your baptism. Or maybe it's regular memorials, smaller stones, as we come like we did this morning and receive communion. I wonder, do you keep um, a list of, uh, of prayers answered so you can gather small stones for your can? Remembering the small answers to prayers, car keys that were lost and found, as well as the large prayers of Dave Green making it to PNG. Keep a diary. Keep a diary so that over time, God's faithful provision to you, you'll see it. And you'll be greatly, greatly encouraged as you look back and you see his faithfulness to you. You'll see his power, his goodness, and his mercy. And it's especially important in times of trial so that we can hold on to his promises. To look back and see that huge cairn made up of small stones of his constant, persistent, daily faithfulness. And maybe after the service, chat to one another uh, about the memorial stones in your own life. The things that have really encouraged you as you look back. So we remember, so we know which way the Lord has called us to go. And what do we remember? We remember the Lord's faithfulness to us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, uh, we do thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for this reminder of uh, memorial stones. uh, Stones that uh, the high priest carried over his heart. And that... uh, the one true high priest uh, carries us in his heart. Father God, help us uh, to look back with clear eyes at the things that you have done in our hearts and in our lives. And by your spirit, please would you stir our hearts that these things might not just be um, small things in our heads, but powerful things in our hearts that we might be reminded of your faithfulness and that would give us the courage and the strength that we need as your spirit stirs us to live for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.